Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, July 19th, 2017. I need to talk about my schedule today. tuning in you're listening to fighting for the faith my name is chris rosebro i am your servant in jesus christ and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment the goal of which help you to think biblically help you to think critically help you to slow down stop open up your bible and compare compare what people are saying in the name of god to the word of god yeah you know the drill this is what we talk about day in and day out and on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, we're going to just kind of segue and talk about things here. Um, we are going to be doing another pirate gang conversation. However, this particular pirate gang conversation will not only include myself, Amy Spreeman, and uh, Stephen Kozar, but also include Matthew Garnett, who broadcasts on Pirate Christian Radio. Uh, the name of his program is In Layman's Terms. And uh, he is one of our speakers, as well as Amy and Steve, at this year's Contend Conference held at uh, Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota, second week of August. Details are all on the website if you'd like to come and participate and be there. We'd love to have you. Um, but uh, you know, so today we're going to be talking about postmodernism. You know, what it is, what it does, its effect on the church, our society and culture. A little bit of a heady uh, program, and Amy Spreeman's going to literally put a ton of resources, research, research links, links to books, uh, audio books. I, I think of Stephen Hicks' books on a uh, book on understanding postmodernism. Uh, yeah, that is absolutely worth its weight in gold as a book that you, you need to get a hold of and read, and it's available for free on the Internet. Um, but, uh, but real quick note before we get into today's, uh, pirate gang conversation, I have to travel to two different places over the next, uh, you know, literally next week. So I have got, uh, AALC business that I need to tend to, uh, you know, out of town this week. And then I have to travel to, uh, Valparaiso, Indiana for the, uh, higher things board of directors meeting next week. And uh, and so what we're going to do for the remaining programs of this week and the first two programs of next week is uh, we're going to be filling in uh, some more of the conference audio from the PCR Sydney conference. So there will be new episodes of Fighting for the Faith while I'm traveling. Uh, however, it, it's going to be the uh, conference audio from the Sydney uh, conference. And then uh, I think Wednesday 
uh, next week is when I have the ability to begin you know, broadcasting uh, regular episodes of Fighting for the Faith again. So uh, with that, let's dive into today's program. Here is the conversation I recorded earlier today with Amy Spreeman, Stephen Kozar, and Matthew Garnett on postmodernity. All right, on the line, I've got Amy Spreeman, Stephen Kozar, and glad to introduce, for the first time in a Pirate Gang conversation, Matthew Garnett of the uh, podcast In Layman's Terms. In fact, this I think this is the first time the four of us have all been together in one venue. And by the way, uh, this is your illustrative cast for the upcoming Pirate Christian Radio Conference uh, in uh, August. Uh, if you have not already registered, you definitely want to uh, get online and register and come hang out with us. But uh, we've all gotten together in order to talk about something that many of you may have never heard of talked in these terms. You may have heard jargon like this, but you have no idea what it means. We're going to be talking about post-modernity and its impact, not, not just on the church, but on society, and hopefully help you begin to kind of wrap your head around this and ask yourself this kind of all-important question. Has my pastor tested positive for post-modernity? It may be a bad thing if he has. Uh, So thank you guys for coming on the program today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks for having us on, Chris. All right. So, uh, okay, so when you say say the word postmodern, it, people have, they may not exactly know what that means, and so I mean, can we give some examples of uh, of what it is that is postmodernity? You know, yeah. And Matt, I know you have uh, you have experience in the emergent church, and uh, you know have done a tour of duty in a negative sense. Uh, you know, wandering <laughs> through that particular wilderness. Yeah, help us understand wh- what are we talking about when we talk about postmodernity. Hey, can I give my two-second um, definition? Sure. Okay, you got two seconds. Ready? Postmodernism says we know for sure that we can know nothing for sure. And that about sums it up. Uh, okay, that sounds right. Good. But <laughs> but what you have to understand about what you have to understand about that, Steve, is that's just a ruse. Um, postmoderns do have absolute truth, but what they do is they play language games to conceal that truth. Right. That's really what's going on. Um, in fact, at the at the Pirate Christian Conference, what I'm going to present on is uh, is post modernity and how it affects our theology. And the thing I'm going to point out is that uh, uh, postmodern deconstructionists have an agenda, and they actually I'm coming up with ten the ten commandments of the postmoderns. And if you want to really interact with a postmodern in an, in an interesting way, especially one that knows what they're doing, you have to strike at the heart of what they believe. So, for instance, um, probably at the top of their list of of commandments is is thou shalt support the uh, sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to pin down a postmodern on truth, you just say something like, well, if, if you have your truth and I have my truth, then is it okay that I don't affirm uh, same-sex marriage and see what happens? <laughs> they will backpedal. Mm-hmm. They will backpedal very quickly. I remember a conversation I had uh, with a friend of mine who is actually a, uh, a Bible professor <laughs> in Oregon, Old Testament guy. 
And we got into that conversation and he said he was, you know, he was teaching his class on, you know, what the Bible had to say about uh, homosexuality. And, and we got to that point and I said, okay, is it okay? Would you affirm me and my uh, belief that homosexuality is, is immoral? And he said, no, I won't affirm you in that. <laughs> so, you know, uh, um, so they, 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 what they do is they use, uh, they use uh, deconstruction and all deconstruction, all deconstructionism is, is really a language game. Um, and they use that to conceal their agenda. So in other words, if, if I'm in a conversation with a college professor who teaches philosophy and he's trying to conceal an agenda and I say something like, and Amy, you mentioned this when we were talking last week, I say something like St. Paul is clear that homosexuality is immoral. It's a sin. Mm -hmm. And then he'll say, well, what do you mean by sin? And then he'll start picking apart that word yep. and 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 uh, making the, the definition of sin fuzzy, just like your friend who said, well, who's truth? See, that's a game. Yeah. She, they're trying to throw you off track. It's a, it's a red herring. They're trying to get you off the subject and start talking about language and they're deconstructing. See, and so when you see that happen, don't, you, you can't fall for that. you got to go. No, no, no. We're not going to play that game. We, let's let's go. Let's talk about the issue here. Okay, right. and you, and and you, if you if you press on that hard enough, you'll you'll get them to you'll get them to reveal quite a bit. Well, I so. grew up in postmodernity from a very young age. I grew up in the great blue state of Minnesota, and my whole family, um, you know, even extended family, very very uh, blue state Democrat. Um, you know, uh, they they believe that they're kind of sort of Christians, but um, you know, the leftism is much more important. And so um, I remember, you know, whose truth is is kind of a, a trigger for me because seven years ago, uh, I told my family about how I was asked to help launch a new uh, discernment program. Well, they didn't know what discernment was, but and it was called uh, Stand Up for the Truth. And immediately, uh, my brother, who is a leftist Christian by his own definition, interrupts me and says, wait a second, whose truth? Your truth? The right-wing Christian truth? Uh, and, I, you know, I'd had to explain to him, well, no, biblical truth. God's word is truth. And uh, he, he would come back. He couldn't accept that. But man wrote the Bible, right? So whose translation? Which parts are you going to cherry pick? And you couldn't have a conversation with him. Uh, and he was getting kind of angry with me. So, you know, I, I just, uh, yeah, I grew up with it and I had to kind of deconstruct myself as I was learning to become more discerning because those terms are just, they just hit home for me. Right. Yeah, and, the, and it's the smart people, quote unquote, who are using these language games and they're well-trained in many cases. That's when you study philosophy or sociology, some of the social sciences in most secular universities are just totally a mess. Right. And what we're really dealing with here is, and, you know, uh, if you kind of, you've, you're, what, you're somebody chips? what is that? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Somebody's eating Cheetos. Hey, not me, not me. <laughs> Matt, are you eating Cheetos? I'm, I'm eating Cheetos. Sorry. So if you, it, what we're describing in postmodernity here are the, um, are the symptoms where, you know, you can, you can identify uh, what, that somebody has been, has tested positive for postmodernity by these types of language games. But what a lot of people don't understand is exactly how it operates. And one of the ways I describe postmodernity to people, and I'm going to use a, a very big word, I, it, it's an epistemology. 
And epistemology has to do with how you know what you know what you know is is kind of the layman's term way of describing it. Another way you can talk about it is if you were to think of your brain like a computer. Now, this is an analogy, um, and it breaks down at some points. But the idea would be is that post-modernity is the operating system that somebody puts onto their brain. Uh, And so there are competing operating systems, if you would. There's a, a modern mindset there is a, the, people call it a pre-modern mindset. I would argue biblical mindset, and then post-modernity and modernity are two competing, uh, you, know, you know, operating systems for how you would run your brain. And in the postmodern um, mindset, it's not about logic and reason. In fact, postmodern philosophers are very, very anti-rational in their approaches. They are eschewing Descartes and uh, and the whole Enlightenment project, and instead they're defining truth um, in, in in some ways very individualistically. But it's not individualistically based upon thought; it's individually based upon feeling. And mm-hmm. then, in the truest sense, those who are you know, who really follow uh, Foucault and Derrida. What they end up doing is they define truth not on an individual basis, but in a collective sense. And so, uh, when I was uh, studying, you know, trying to figure out the whole emergent church thing with uh, Tony Jones and Doug Paget and Brian McLaren, all of whom were openly uh, trying to put forward a Christianity that was compatible with postmodernity. I, I, it took me a while to kind of figure this all out because they were they were working with a completely different operating system, and this operating system is hostile to any objective truth claim. They 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 reject it outright. They they right. deny the existence of any kind of a objective truth that is outside of us, and they'll always talk in terms of truth being um, truth being experienced while in conversation within a community. This is how they mm-hmm. always would talk. And so um, you know, they'll talk about different faith communities and things like this, but ultimately this is a nihilistic game designed to basically destroy all, you know, all semblances of objective truth. And the way, the, uh, the way their philosophers go at it is they attack language itself. Uh, right. And so language language being the way in which we communicate thought and objective truth and things like this, they go after language in order to deconstruct it to obliterate any semblance of there being an objective standard or truth or something that's knowable or outside of us or whatever. And it's it, it, at the end of it, the, the victims of postmodernity are literally left with only what happens between their ears. And in uh, what they feel and sense and experience, and and truth really ends up being boiled down to something that is totally individualistic. Now, this then leads to what we're seeing in our society, uh, as far as people saying that I I self-identify as a non-binary human being. I'm neither male nor female. And you sit there and go, <laughs> How on earth are you doing this? Because your your birth certificate has assigned a gender to you, and it's based on something really objective you know you can look at it you can touch it i mean you know i'm, I'm not trying to be crass here but you get the point and yeah. and they'll let the, literally sit there and say no i have always felt that i'm different than that i'm um i'm other and so this is literally 
what has been has taken hold in our society as a whole and has led to the whole non-binary human being thing going on. But that's just a manifestation of the real problem. And the real problem is the software that's running on people's brains. Yeah, well put. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think the goal of um, feminism, which uh, we saw, you know, come to life in the 60s, was to blur gender lines. That was their whole goal. Uh, you know, they said it was about equality, but look where we are today. I mean, there are how many different genders are there that uh, professors will tell you we have more than 50 different ways to identify. So they've really done their job and it's 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 been a success for them. Well, and for for the listener's sake, that that's a perfect example of what deconstructionism is, uh, because if you if you study Derrida and Foucault, what you'll find is it, it, what this basically starts as is is a literary criticism. And so what you do is you take a piece of literature and you find two binaries like man and woman. And in Holy Scripture, we know that the man is the head and the woman is to submit. Right. We see that. Well, they say, okay, let's flip that. They, they invert the binaries and say, let's make the, the woman the head and have the man submit. And then from there, they're going to dissolve those terms and make them fuzzy and gray um, to where the, the terms man and woman no longer have any meaning. And that's where we are today. They've, they've succeeded in that, in, um, you know, in the whole, whole gender confusion arena and the, and the sexual revolution. They have actually accomplished what they set out to do, which was uh, make the, the terms man and woman meaningless, marriage meaningless. So, the, those, uh, so they've subverted that whole um, sector uh, of our society. Um, and that's, that's, that's deconstructionism in a, in a nutshell right there. And that's, that's uh, deconstructionism in action, if you will. And the millennial generation, to a large extent, has rejected traditional definitions of gender and of marriage, and they've rejected them in such an offhand, casual way. It's, I've, I've used the expression, it's like uh, they're just talking about a bad sitcom from the 90s. Yeah. And No, we're talking about the bedrock of Western civilization. We're talking about law and order. We're talking about how to raise kids uh, with the security of a mom and a dad. These are there's nothing really more foundational, you know, in our society. And they're not carefully, you know, excruciatingly, painfully looking at every possible scenario and, and, and cautiously considering all of the history of civilization. They're just tossing it all aside in this trendy sort of a way. And then right. the, the post, postmodern, uh, the postmodern worldview gives people this uh, really naive confidence that they know exactly what they're, what they're believing in when in mm -hmm. fact they have no idea what they're actually believing in. And, but they're so confident that they won't actually have a conversation with anybody who disagrees with them because they've been taught that everybody who doesn't agree with this postmodern, you know, basically anti-Christian worldview is the enemy. And, and they're, right. they're in the process of actually dehumanizing an entire segment of the world population. Yeah, and, then, and when you do that, that's that's always the first move before genocide. Yep. 
Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, that's that's a great point, Chris, that you bring up there. And, and bouncing off what you were saying, Steve, is that, yeah, I think some people don't know what they're doing, but your hard postmoderns that do know what they're doing, that is precisely what they're after. Um, they're not after truth. They're after subversion because, Steve, the family, the way Western civilization has constructed itself is privileged. Steve, you're a white, privileged, landowning male. You don't get a voice. You get subverted. Okay, that's what they're after. They're after subverting Western civilization because they believe it's unjust and unfair. Okay, so that that's really what they're after. So when you when I think of postmodernism, you know, so so think of the catechism, right? Um, The the uh, the creed after after each article of the creed, what does Luther say? This is most certainly true. What a postmodern would say, uh, a hard postmodern that knows what they're doing would say this most certainly subverts. If this subverts Western culture and Western society, this is what we're after. This is what we're going for. All right. So for you to come in with your with your with your white logic, Chris and and Amy, your biblical truth and and uh, and Steve, your idea of the family, that's privileged. And we must yeah. subvert that. Well, what, what that's if, what they're but, after. But what if I self-identify as a, a, as a lesbian Asian woman? <laughs> then you then you might get a voice. <laughs> then you then you might get a voice. Um, there there are ways where you know uh, that's the thing is if you're if you're white male prince think of Brian McLaren perfect example. If you're in that category of being the privileged, if you subvert yourself and join the other side in subverting Western culture, then then you get a voice. Yeah. So, so it, you you have no voice until you agree to the subversion, and by, exactly. by playing their game. And, you know, That's it's, right. a, yep. it's just blatant acquisition of power, just like man has always done. Only yeah. it's a much more clever acquisition of power. It's pretending not to want power while you figure out a way to acquire power. The whole right. thing is predicated on make believe. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, postmodernity is all about a big game of make-believe. Let's make believe there are no rules, and that's the rule, that there are no rules. We'll just make believe. It's totally self-refuting at the end of the day on its face because the person who says there is no absolute truth, you have to ask them, is that absolutely true? I mean, the whole thing is (laughs) self-refuting, and unfortunately, I hate to say this, but it's as if this has really taken root in an entire society that hasn't matured past the sixth grade. This yes. is right. this is junior high nonsense and immaturity and a refusal to understand that God has made the world a particular way. The most offensive words uh, for a postmodern to come to grips with are found in the book of Genesis in the early chapters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the, and the other most more offensive is God created the male and female. I mean, yeah. and, and they understand that if that if God has created us male and female, then there are roles, that there is structure, that there is design and that there is a designer to whom we are accountable. And they they, they are all about literally pouring acid on any institution, any semblance of any organization based upon how God has ordered things and they've they've destroyed all that and what they have replaced it with is the tyranny of complete irrational emotionalism mm-hmm. right but, but, but there you go again Chris you're using your white privileged logic based on your absolute truth 
and we're not going to have any of that. Yeah. See? Well, I, because, whether you think yeah. it's privileged or not, that doesn't take away from the fact that what I said is true. No, that's right. You're, you're, you're right. I mean, the the the, the whole the whole project of post-modernity is, is, is a political and social one. And that, that's, that's their aim. And that's what, that's what Derrida and Foucault um, died trying to prove that subversion was, was the path. I mean, he dropped acid in the seventies and got into the, the homosexual scene in uh in san francisco and basically his goal was to go against every social norm there was and see what happened and he's dead now from aids yeah so that's where this stuff leads you're absolutely right it it leads to madness and to death well and we're already indoctrinating our children and i think i saw it happening in the early 90s when we started everything was about self-esteem this self-esteem that we you know there couldn't be any rules for the kids and uh, they learned in school that um, you know we've had to deconstruct good versus evil and so uh, you know kids used to know what good and evil was and who to cheer for in the movies and now look how we've unintentionally indoctrinated our children even with uh some of the entertainment they watch that you know those innocent films you think uh disney you know now it's the bad guy has feelings and we want to root for the bad guy um i remember a few years ago when uh, i think it was angelina jolie played maleficent and she had those you know those evil horns and everybody was afraid of her but then you got to know her uh, and, and you can apply this to anything in the church today you get to know the evil one and they're not so bad in fact we need to um, recognize their dignity and honor them and, and cheer for them. And so, you know, you apply that to the church today and make sure that, um, you know, there is no evil, really. There's no good in evil. Uh, maybe if we got to know Satan a little bit better, maybe we'd understand his heart, you know. So that's kind of where we are today. <laughs> He's a warm, cuddly dragon once you kind of yes. nestle up to him, you know. Well, and there's – um there is always some truth in any error and the, the idea that we should be uh, caring about other people and that we should consider them as humans and we should think yes. about their feelings and, and we should be kind. We all agree with that. Nobody's exactly. But this is that uh, false dichotomy. You know, the postmodern viewpoint says that we're the ones who are caring and we're the ones who are open minded. And we're affirming of everybody, right. but they're not. They're so clearly uh, very um, discriminatory about other groups of people who they disagree with. Yeah. And it's really plain to see. And I think part of what Christians need to do is in whatever way we can, we need to just be real, almost like kind of laugh at it and say, oh, come on. You people have an agenda. You people have a group that you're against, that you disagree with. And in fact, you, you actually display a great deal of hate towards others. You in know, the name of being against hate, you actually display hate. Right. So let's be honest about it, and you know, let's let's not be um, let's not play these games. I guess. So let's let's then talk about this because Stephen, you're making a point in how to address people in society that are subject and are really embracing postmodernity. And I think as Christians, we're gonna you know this is a big topic. And we're going to have to look at the effects of postmodernity in society and then how that relates to being a good citizen within the United States um, or wherever you're at. But the other issue is, is that postmodernity is, has crept into the church. And uh, going back to my software analogy, there's no way 
that uh, the postmodern software is compatible with biblical Christianity because biblical Christianity presupposes a creator, presupposes objective, knowable truth that is outside of the person experiencing it, um, and that all people are subject are, are subject to. And postmodernity denies all of that, and there's no way, I'm, and I mean this, at the end of the day, there is no way to make Christianity and postmodernity compatible. Now, that does not mean that postmodernity isn't helpful in some of its critiques of modernism. In fact, right. I find postmodernity's critiques of modernism to be very helpful because uh, when I was growing up and cutting my teeth in theology and apologetics, Postmodernity was still kind of off in the distant future as far as coming into the church, and it was modernism that was the real problem, right. where modernism denied using rational, rationalism, denied the existence of miracles, denied the existence of God, and basically came up with some kind of a rat, uh, rationalistic naturalism, and people were trying to bring that into the church, and when you do that, then you deny that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he rose bodily from the grave, and stuff like that. And postmodernism, when it first came on the scene, actually had some extremely helpful arguments against uh, modernism hmm. that I think did a very good job of tearing down that particular superstructure. But the problem was it, when they deconstructed modernism, they didn't stop there. They just kept going. And so yeah. th I think there are some things that you can look to and say, yeah, I, you know, th there's actual an actual contribution that postmodernity has brought to the table as far as breaking the loggerhead uh, between Christianity and modernism. But that doesn't mean that you can embrace it just – in in this sense, these epistemological worldviews, just because the enemy of your enemy is an enemy of your enemy, doesn't mean that your enemy that other enemy is your friend. It's not. Postmodernism is at the end of the day is not something that we can sidle up to. We have to be extremely careful with it. Yeah, you're you're bringing something up that um, I'm going back in my own experience about uh, eight, ten, maybe twelve years. I had some good friends who were talking about postmodernism in the church, in the emerging church, and uh, how this was a really uh, possibly going to be a good movement, that the idea was that moderniz modernism's big problem was that it trusted too much in man's own intelligence and man's technology. Yep. You know, and this has been going on for hundreds of years. This is not a thing that's been, you know, making great changes in just a matter of decades. We're talking about hundreds of years. But the modernist idea that man can solve all of his own problems really came to an end in many regards in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And people said, you know, we're, we're, we're killing each other in greater amounts than ever before in spite of all of our technology, in spite of our intelligence. So postmodernism said maybe science isn't the answer. Maybe technology can't solve all of our problems. And so there were Christians who said, yes. You're, you're, that's a good point. And so here's Christianity, and Christianity is the answer. Christianity will give you those things that are missing. And they sort of went that, that route. And the reason it didn't work is because they also were refusing to um, critique postmodernism. Yeah. Because postmodernism really didn't leave any room for Christianity. So you just couldn't blend the two. Postmodernism said, we know for sure that we don't know anything for sure. And one of the things we know for sure is that there is no God and especially the Christian God. 
So you can't blend that with Christianity. So you have to you have to critique modernism and you also have to critique postmodernism. And 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 then you have to point out in the critique of postmodernism how Christianity actually answers that critique. Yep. But postmodernism, and we're seeing this. I, I got to tell you, um, my kids' generation, the millennials, kids who grew up in the church who are in their 20s now, they were raised on Rob Bell in their youth groups. Yeah. And I can personally think of the top of my head, most of my own children and all of their friends who have literally abandoned the Christian faith, and yeah. Rob Bell was the pathway, not just him, but he was probably the most prominent because he was asking all these deconstructive questions about, well, you know, what is the Bible and how can we know anything for sure? And yeah. he was constantly, you know, picking away at the foundation of our Christian faith. But then they said, the most important thing is that we just live with, uh, with love and care to our neighbors and we're just accepting of everybody yeah. and that we, you know, we make the world a better place. So it didn't take long for the millennial generation to say, well, you know, all this stuff about God is really confusing. It's it's not popular with, the, with my non-Christian friends. And, you know, my professor has really made me think about stuff that I never thought about. And um, I don't really want to deal with heaven and hell and Jesus dying for our sins. I just want to do that thing that Rob Bell said. I just want to be a nice person and be accepting and go out and make the world a better place. And you can do that as a total pagan. Right. And so right. I've, I've seen this step-by-step uh, step, um, uh process happen in the, in the lives of people who were totally immersed in a postmodern and then an emergent church environment. And I, I'll tell you something else now that I'm on my soapbox. There's going to be, this is just me speculating, but there's going to be a very nasty response to postmodernism by the, um, let's, let's just say the, the, the alt-right or the, the, the redneck um, kind of not necessarily Christian, but pseudo-Christian um, the, the, the segment of America that that is um, seeing this happen and they know it's insane, but they don't really have a very intelligent response. I think we're going to see violence in America. We're going to see it on both sides. Yeah. And, and I, I'm not happy to say that, but I, I studied enough history. If, if anybody wants to really get absolutely frightened about what can happen in the modern world, study the French Revolution and then study what happened in Nazi Germany. Yeah. And you'll painfully aware yeah. of what can happen in America and it actually appears to be happening as we speak. Right. It in does. in yeah. fact, let me let me let me say this at this point. Um with today's episode, we're going to put a link up to a couple of uh resources. Uh but one of the resources we're going to put a link up to is Stephen uh Stephen Hicks book on uh understand explaining postmodernism. And the wonderful thing is that this is a fantastic primer on postmodernity and Stephen Hicks does a very good job of connecting postmodern philosophy and its you know earlier iterations and the philosophers back to uh, the fascist movements of uh, the 20th century in Europe because they are ex they are actually interrelated um, postmodernism as we understand it was the actual worldview that led to the rise of fascism within uh, Spain within Germany within Italy and continental Europe and uh, another resource that we'll put a, a, a link up to is the uh, book titled um, by Jean Edward Veith. It's uh, titled Modern Fascism. That, that is also a, an important read because when you see what this worldview does, when it organizes itself politically, it organizes itself in, 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 
fascistic socialism. That's literally how it organizes itself politically, and it is an aggressive, aggressive uh, opponent against anybody who would say, no, wait, there's there's real truth here in, in the world, and uh, and what you guys are saying is nonsense. They they basically their their argument at the end of the day turns out to not be any kind of an engagement of thought or idea. At the end of the day, the postmodern worldview will lead to the argument being, you disagree with me, I kill you. That's their right. argument. Yeah. Wow. And we're seeing a, a very, you know, with these younger people, the the millennials, Steve, that you talked about, um, right now we're seeing young people who are in uh, the church, and usually it's the evangelical industrial complex, really willing to question any kind of tradition and tolerance of diversity. So, so what they're doing is is they're they're really glomming onto, um, you know, this idea of everything needs to be diverse. Uh, we all need to be focused on social justice. Uh, we need to find our tribe and our social social justice tribe. And uh, there's a lot of environmental adv- advocacy going on in the church, where really that's not really what church is supposed to be about, but it's become that. And right. now we've got entire ministries that are extremely popular, and these speakers are coming into mainline churches and talking about these things, and everybody's going, yeah, that's where we need to be. We need to have a new mission statement. So uh, it, it really has changed some things, and it continues to really kind of seep in as this yeast into mainline churches. Well, I think um... – <clears throat> like what McLaren and, and those guys are after. And, and McLaren's got a new thing going on now called Convergence. Mm-hmm. And he, if yes. you go there and watch the, watch that video, his little introduction video to, um, to Convergence, he's really trying to co-opt the church. I mean, that's, that's really what this, uh, this social justice movement is trying to do with the church is, is to say, Hey, this is Christian. See, look here. Look, the Bible says all these things about about justice, and and they're they're trying to co opt the church into this into this movement. That's mm-hmm. that's really what they're after. They're not interested in the church itself. They're not interested in Christianity per se. What they're interested in is the, is the number of people that they can they can co opt into this movement uh, via the media of uh, deconstructing the Bible and showing how hey, look, even the Bible says we're supposed to be. You know, the, uh, uh, social justice warriors. Never mind that that Jesus had very little to say about uh, subverting the government. And and when the Bible talks about subverting the government, it's really talking about Israel's idolatry and why they're in trouble with God. Uh, for just just never mind that. Um, just pick out the parts that that really show. Hey, we're we're supposed to be a social justice movement sub- subverting the government. This is this is a Christian thing. Um, when all the while they know that it's not. Uh, but but that's the thing is that's why McLaren and, and Bell and those guys hang on to their Christian identities is because if they didn't, they would lose all those people who say that they're Christians. Um, they exactly. can't come right out. Yeah. I mean, if you if you read Rob Bell's new book, I mean, you can't come to any other conclusion than he, that at least he's an agnostic at this point. Yeah. Um, he's he's completely he's completely crowded God out of the scriptures. Hey, God's what, voice can't be found there. Yeah, I was going to say for everybody who's listening, um, Matt, you you just um, did two programs, right? Are you you already finished the second one about Rob Bell's new book? So we'll put that in the link as well. Anybody's interested, you actually play the audio from that book, and you do a great job of explaining kind of what he's doing and 
you, you kind of go behind the scenes and say, see what he's doing here? See when he said that, what he really meant was this, this, and this. So I think that's something that um, we're, we're trying to do at Pride Christian Media is give people the tools to see yeah. what's happening. We don't want to just give you, you know, uh, watch this one video and this one guy will tell you who to believe and who not to believe. That's not how this mm-hmm. works. That's not how the church is strong. That's how the church is actually very weak. And that's how you get misled by the one guy who tells you what to think. We're, yeah. we're hoping to give you enough tools to teach you how to think for yourself. And, of course, all you got to do is read your Bible to find out that none of this stuff really works. It's well, amazing yeah. to me that the emergent church people talking about, you know, Jesus was all about this and Jesus was all about that. I'm like, well, why don't you show me in Scripture? Because you haven't done that. All you're doing is you're – and it, it makes me think of that article I wrote a while back called um, – uh, cognitive dissonance and the silly putty Jesus, because the silly putty Jesus is the Jesus that we just um, make him turn into whatever we want him to be. So the emergent church has made him into like a hippie who's basically saying, hey, man, let's all just get along, share everything. Yeah. Uh, and why don't you actually read what Jesus said? Because you're twisting his his entire purpose incredibly it's it's not even close right Matt, i wanted to ask you about though the the convergence of mclaren and his new movement it, do you know if that sprang out of his uh cana c-a-n-a initiative from 2014 where he uh, got together with rob bell doug paget tony jones phyllis tickle all those people uh for this new neo-emergent movement that they tried to start is that what convergence has uh come from well, probably so. That I could I couldn't answer that honestly, Amy. Okay. I would guess so. Um, I mean, those guys are always trying to reinvent something because they they are really losing the church people. Um, yeah. they, that that's an area where they're really struggling uh, because once people figure out what's going on here, they're they're abandoning those mainline churches and droves. I mean, yeah. you can just look at the numbers to see that. So they're mm-hmm. always trying to come up with something new. There, this convergence thing is really springboarding off the election of Trump and people freaking out about Trump and especially the Christians freaking out about Trump. And, you know, and so, the, you know, they're trying to make a move with it there, I think, is really what's going on. But but they, they're that's a battle they're losing because one of two things is happening is when people figure out what's really going on with this, they're abandoning Christianity altogether mm-hmm. because that's where po- that's where postmodernism takes you. Exactly. eventually yeah. uh, or or if, if if like me once once i figured out what was going on i'm like this is nonsense i i'm not going to be a part of this this you know it, this this has if you follow the the logical steps to it it's not a slippery slope you can see the steps very cl- clearly <laughs> this like chris was saying this devolves in denialism and it and in in the example of foucault it leads to madness and death this is not good stuff uh, it does not have positive outcomes <laughs> so i i bailed I, yeah go ahead no i was going to say talk about your experience matt at claremont yeah yeah you stuff. actually were yeah. the, the emergent church or postmodern church pastor that is so interesting yeah. to me well you were a fundamentalist pastor before you became or you started to or wanted to become a, a, a postmodern pastor we we talked about it in that interview we did a few months ago if anybody wants to listen to that but give us a little thumbnail of your experience at claremont particularly well, that's I mean, that's where I, that's where I really learned how this how this stuff works. And that's what that's what really it drove me into despair until I came across one Chris Roseborough, who uh, who finally helped me make some sense of this, um, because once I understood what was going on, I'm like this. I'm like, OK, so fundamentalism doesn't have the answer and liberal Christianity doesn't have the answer. Who ha- is there an answer? 
um, to, to all this? Can can we make sense of of, of any of it? And uh, you know that that's really in, in a nutshell what my experience at Claremont was. I mean, I was seriously considering atheism until I read Richard Dawkins' God Delusion. I'm like, this is just fundamentalism of another sort. Yeah. Is all it is, um, and 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 it doesn't lead to anywhere good <laughs> at all. Um, and so it, you know, that's that's where really where I started to get my head around, you know, what what it means to be privileged and how to how to subvert your own privilege and and all that that nonsense. And uh, what was interesting about Claremont is I learned about liberation theology, which has a ton of explanatory value, especially when you think about um, immigration and um, you know social welfare, welfare and that sort of thing. They actually trained us at Claremont to teach. Um, uh, Ill- illegal immigrants, how to get across the border and to take advantage of the system, not for their benefit so much, but because it strains the system. See, that's what liberation theology is after is straining the system such to the point where it collapses. Mm. That's the move. It's, it's, it's a move of subversion. And so what they trained us to do was, was teach people how to put strains on the system. So it collapses. Wow, and then we can and then we can replace it with our own system. And I'm like, I'm not going for this. This is not what I thought this was. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so it, that that's really in a nutshell what my experiences were like at, at, at Claremont. And the thing of it is, you know, it all circles back to what Chris pointed out is that post 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 modernity really identified a major problem with uh, with rationalism and and the modern movement. And that's not the problem. We we agree that that uh, modernity has major problems. It denies the miraculous. Okay, so we. I mean, that's really what Kant was trying to do in his critique. He was saying, "Wait a second, you're completely taking God out of the whole thing, and that's a problem." But Kant's solution is what the issue was. Yeah, it's not that we 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 uh, we disagree on what what the problem is. I mean, look at William Paul Young. I agree. There are problems in fundamental Christianity, but his solutions is what I have issue with. Okay, so this I mean, and and Steve, you said it. The answer to all this is the Bible. Mm -hmm. Know your Bible, for pity's sake. That's where the answers are. Okay, it's not. That's the thing is we've tried to solve these problems philosophically instead of biblically. Right. Mm -hmm. And. I mean, that's the thing, you know, I, I cannot stress that enough, dear listener, uh, to know your Bible. I, and I bet you, I can guarantee you, Chris, that there are people who listen to your program regularly who have not, who have yet to actually read their Bible cover to cover. And they've been Christians for years. Yeah. And that, and, and if that's true, you're wrong. Get, you should be reading your Bible. You are disobeying the third commandment. Start reading your Bible. That's where the answers are. All right, we're going to pause this conversation right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. When we come back, the balance of today's conversation about post-modernity. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. 
You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Thank you for downloading Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a second. You out there! I'm supposed to experience the presence of God if you are using a jackhammer! Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, no, no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was... Judas... Hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! 
and a complete waste of my time. I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something. If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Just open the Bible and read it. Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Striving for Eternity and the Bible Thumping Wingnut are happy to announce the Judge Not Conference, August 11 and 12 in Amstead Falls, Ohio, at Amstead Falls Baptist Church. Speakers include Phil Johnson, Mike Abendroth, Justin Peters, J.D. Hall, and Chris Roseborough. Also included is a debate at 7 p.m. on Friday on the topic of the charismatic gifts. Continuationism versus cessationism. You can register for the Judge Not Conference at judgenotconference.org. Don't miss this awesome opportunity and fellowship on the topic of apologetics and evangelism. Judge Not Conference, judgenotconference.org. Register today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that post-modernity is not compatible with biblical Christianity. And the reason for it is that it's not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world, and you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Yeah, that's right. Uh, rank is based upon your monthly contribution, your monthly giving, and lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month, Master Gunner at $4.95 forty nine ninety five a month and quartermaster at ninety nine ninety five a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to post office box one three three four four Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code five eight two oh eight 
And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here's the balance of our pirate gang conversation regarding as it pertains to post-modernity. Here we go. Now, I want to talk about something here because this will be a perfect place to segue here. Um, post-modernity within the Christian church is not something brand new. This has been, this has been actually intentionally uh, nurtured within, uh, within uh, evangelicalism. I think back to the book that was published years ago by Dan Kimball, uh, literally just named The Emerging Church. And at that point, in, in fact, I would really recommend if you want to get this, you have to go back into the archives of Fighting for the Faith and listen to my interview with Doug Paget on mm-hmm. where the whole emergent church came from. And uh, he, he tells the story that back in the day um, that Peter Drucker and Bob Buford and, you know, kind of got together and uh, were setting up these conferences of best practices in order to create mega churches, and the whole purpose behind that is Drucker, Drucker's uh, fascism. I hate to say it, but that's true. Uh, he called yeah. it communitarianism, but it was all about uh, you know the the loss of the individual. And um, back in the day, Rick Warren, Bob Buford, Leadership Network. You think of Bill Hybels. These fellows were intentionally in conversations with how to position the church to be compatible with postmodern culture because they saw it as a growing trend. And their basic assumption was that if we can't communicate uh, with postmoderns in their own language, they won't be willing to make decisions for Jesus. That was literally what their argument was, and and here's the problem, is that that, number one, is the Pelagian heresy at worst, semi-Pelagianism at best, and uh, they think that it's all about somehow convincing somebody to make a decision. So they worked very closely with the Billy Graham Foundation and other groups in order to intentionally launch this emerging church project uh, as a way of being relevant to uh, uh, up-and-coming postmodern Gen Xers and uh, and Gen Y at the at the time, uh, the millennials were still a little too young at the time that this launched, and they brought this into the church, and they are the ones who promoted Doug Paget, Rob Bell, Tony Jones, uh, Brian McLaren, Dan Kimball, and others. And all of this was an intentional move on their part, and they've literally brought this postmodern virus into the church. And it is it is the it is the core assumption of men uh, like Andy Stanley, Nick Hall, and others today. Uh, and uh, and nobody even understands this. I mean, you sit there and go, why does Andy Stanley continually attack Christianity? And you know, when he does these apologetic sermon series, why is Christ- biblical Christianity always the bad guy? Answer, because Andy Stanley has always, from the beginning, been a part of the whole emerging church project. He was yeah. he was brought in, and Doug Paget talks about this explicitly. Andy Stanley was brought in because quote he gets it. Uh, Andy mm-hmm. Stanley is as postmodern as postmodern gets. 
Interestingly, Andy Stanley is one of only uh, two pastors featured at Bill Hybels Leadership Summit, the Global Leadership Summit this year. Uh, you know, it started out two decades ago featuring this full lineup of pastoral leaders with a few corporate leaders sprinkled in. But now we've seen that ratio flip on its head, and he's got people from Google, people from Facebook. Andy Stanley is the only guy except for, uh, you know, some pastor in Nigeria who's actually word of faith, but and that's what the leadership summit has become very agnostic. And he has claimed to train millions of church leaders worldwide since this whole thing started. And so this this yeast continues to seep through things like that. Yeah, th- that's that's a great yeah, real good stuff there, guys. Because that's exactly what's going on, and I, I experienced all that. So there, there's a couple of things going on with these guys. One is a guy like me who naively bought into this because I thought it would win uh, people to Christ. I mean, I, want, I didn't want people to go to hell. I wanted them right. to accept the gospel. And so I thought, well, we better do this postmodern thing or we won't be relevant. Uh, the, the kids won't, won't hear us. They won't understand us. And so we've got to get with the times and with the culture. And the thing of it was is we – the way I structured my ministry when, when I was an evangelical pastor was – you get decisions, you get baptisms at all costs. And if that means we got to go postmodern, that's what we got to do. We got to make this thing happen. And old folks, you just, you're just going to have to understand this is the way things are. Now, I didn't have any idea what I was doing or what I was getting myself into. Now, best construction on guys like Hybels and Warren and Stanley is they didn't either. They didn't have any idea what they're getting themselves into. And they, and, and they still don't know. They still don't know what they're doing. Worst construction, and I'm afraid this may be the actual truth, is that they do know what they're doing. They're just doing it more subtly and more craftily than, say, a Rob Bell does. Mm. I think Rob Bell is way more honest than, than an Andy Stanley. I think Andy Stanley knows exactly what he's doing. He just knows how to do it in the context of the American megachurch without freaking too many people out. I mean – yeah, that whole that whole series he did a couple of years back about how you know the church has been the old guy and the book and the altar and all that stuff, and we need to. I don't. I can't remember all, exactly all the sacred details. Space, sacred sacred space, sacred right. yeah, the writing, t- the sacred, temple model, uh, temple model, the temple model. That's right. Yeah, I was I, I was talking to an evangel uh, several evangelical friends of mine who are who are fans of Andy Stanley, and I, I said, listen to this. Do you see what he's doing here? And they're like. Uh, we don't have a problem with what he's doing. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, uh, well, he's he's so. turning ministries orange. Have you heard about this? There's an article. I'll post this on um, on Berean Examiner. Um, I have an article from last month on there. Andy Stanley's new children's discipleship program is, uh, I mean, it, it costs a lot of money for churches to buy into this, but you no longer have to know your Bible. Uh, all you have to do is plug in the DVDs and the program and the sports and, and all the other stuff, and you can turn your children's ministry bright orange through Andy Stanley's theology. So uh, I know that a lot of people in our area up here in Wisconsin are doing just that, and their children's ministries, uh, their leaders there are going, wait a second, something's not right about this. Um, so again, look at your church's children's ministry. It could very well have been infiltrated by Andy Stanley. Well, this brings me to a, a, a thought that I'm going to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I'm going to touch on it at the Pirate Conference, and that is part of American culture for generations now is uh, completely um, saturated in uh, marketing and public relations as a means to propagate anything. Mm-hmm. And 
if you want to propagate a really, really bad idea, you can do it in America if you have good logos and good marketing people and good commercials and good spokespeople. And we've, we've trained generation after generation. Uh, I think you could argue it goes back to the 20s and 30s, but for sure in the 40s and 50s with the invention of television. But the role of marketing is such that in the church today, Andy Stanley is, uh, w- w- you know, we're almost completely ineffective in doing anything to stop him. Even though we've got the Bible on our side, even though he says outrageous things, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, he just continues to gain more power for, him, for himself. And it's, it's because, well, Andy Stanley's famous. He's written books. Everybody, you know, uh, refers to him. Bill Hybels, he's really famous. He's got this church. He's got this organization. There's just this assumption that that many people cannot be wrong. And um, it's it's instilled in us. And it really frustrates me. In fact, uh, Chris, you and I were just talking about this the other day about how we don't need more evidence to prove uh, our case about what's wrong with American Christianity. The evidence is everywhere. The evidence is right in front of everybody's faces. Yeah. The, the problem is they have this evidence everywhere that all these unbiblical and anti-Christian teachings are, are coming into the church left and right, and nobody does anything. Nobody even sees it, even though it's right there. And I think part of the reason is that we're just uh, we're creatures of habit who love to have the experts tell us what to believe and what not to believe and who to trust. Yeah. And I, you know, I stopped doing that years ago, and my life's never been better. You and know, the Bible makes sense to me now because I'm just rejecting all of the teachings of men as much as possible. You, you know, you make a great point, Steve, and this is nothing new. Um, if you know the history of the Reformation, then uh, you you are aware of that pinnacle moment in the time of the Reformation with Martin Luther when he was called to the Diet of Worms, and uh, he, he and this was called by you know the emperor, and he was basically called. You know, Martin Luther was challenged and basically told, you need to recant everything you've ever written. And they didn't really give him any wiggle room. And Luther literally, you know, asked for a day to kind of think about how he would respond. And it was uh, the Archbishop of Trier. Uh, his name was Dr. Eck. And I want you to listen to what Dr. Eck said to Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms, you know, basically telling him he needed to recant, you know, what he had written in his books, you know, all of them, theological, polemical, it doesn't matter. Here's what uh, the Archbishop of Treyer said to, to uh, Luther at the, at the Diet of Worms. Martin, you have not sufficiently distinguished your works. The earlier were bad, the latter are worse. Your plea to be heard from Scripture is the one always made by heretics. You do nothing but renew the errors of Wycliffe and Huss. How will the Jews, how will the Turks exult to hear Christians discussing whether they have been wrong all these years? Oh, Martin, how can you assume that you are the only one to understand the sense of Scripture? Would you put your judgment above that of so many famous men and claim that you know more than they all? You have no right to call into question the most holy orthodox faith instituted by Christ, the perfect lawgiver proclaimed through the world by the apostles, sealed by the red blood of the martyrs, confirmed by the sacred councils, defined by the church in which our fathers believed until death and gave to us an inheritance and which we are forbidden by the pope and the emperor to discuss, lest there be no end of debate. 
So you'll notice there that even the Archbishop of Treyer, back at the time of the Reformation, is basically saying, who are you to challenge such famous men, including Mm -hmm. the Pope? Who are you? And Luther literally stood his ground and basically said that you know, unless he is shown from Scripture, that his conscience is bound to Scripture, and he cannot and will not recant. And this is where he makes his famous statement, to, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe, God help me. And some, uh, some accounts say this is where he says the famous words, here I stand. And, and see, that's kind of the thing, is that um, within human history, we are we sinful human beings are ridiculously lazy. We you know so we've kind of set it up that if this person's famous they must be speaking the truth otherwise they wouldn't be famous and the reason why they're famous is cuz God made them famous so therefore everything they say can be trusted. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter Andy Stanley he's good, you know. And yeah, he wants to turn my children orange. That's the same color as Donald Trump, but I'll forget that part. But he, <laughs> He's famous. He's famous. So he's got Rick Warren. He's famous. He's a famous. Uh, so he must be true. Who are you, Steve and Amy and yeah. Matthew Garnett? Who are you to question such famous men? Good point. Right. Right. No, that's that's fascinating. That's a, that's a great that's a great passage there. Um, very uh, has a lot of explanatory value. I want I want to circle back to something Amy said about uh, about the about children. Um, th- this is what Al Mohler p- pounds on all the time. They, so folks like us, you know, uh, Pastor Roseboro, Amy, Steve, me, they're not going to get us. Who they're going to get is our children. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. And so that's, if, if, if I were to give any sage advice to, to folks listening is if you've got children and you want them to keep their faith, you better start doing something about that. Yeah. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, some of these movements are going to scoop them up at, yeah. at some point. Yep. And, uh, you know, so so raising your children um, to, to know and understand Holy Scripture is I, I cannot tell you how critical that is. Um, you know, uh, it's it's got it's got to be done. That's that is a key factor because that's who they're after. Yeah. And, and we can't trust that uh, a few hours here or there at a youth camp or at a Sunday school is enough. It's just that's a joke. And all of my friends who have, whose kids have, have lost the faith and we, we have friends whose kids are now gay. We have um, just it's, it's, it's shocking. The yeah. number of kids who grew up in church and went to Sunday school and, uh, you know, did the evangelical thing. Our kids have rejected the faith and uh They've adopted postmodernism as a worldview, whether they realize it or not. It's everywhere. And it, I, I'll tell you, turn off your televisions, folks. Turn them off. Unplug them. Rip that thing out of the wall. If, if you think you're missing something, you're part of the problem. That's the fact that, oh, I, I maybe, you know, maybe I've heard Steve say that before, how he turned off his TV. But I don't want to miss Fox News or I don't want to miss whatever. I'm sorry. Get uh, now I'm going to get upset. Turn the stupid thing off. And and uh, do what you're supposed to do. I, like uh, for instance, Elliot Nash, who's a brother and a friend of ours, he made this unbelievable documentary about the emerging church, and I've watched it probably three or four times. And it's yeah. it's an amazing piece of work. And he's just a layman who's doing this with this incredible passion and this diligence. And it's got like eighty thousand views or something. And 
it has almost everything you need to know about the emerging church packed into one video. All you got to do is sit down and watch it. Yep. And so I'm pleading with you, do your homework, turn off the television, stop doing all your fun stuff. You can take a break from your fun stuff for a while. And I know I'm talking to some people and not others. Some of you who are listening, you, you're, you're already doing this stuff. So I'm, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm, I'm angry at everybody, but I just know People are going to say, hey, what's, what's a good book so I can understand this one thing? Who's the one guy? You know, send me one video. I'm sorry. You've you got to do more homework than that. To exactly. Because it's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. Everywhere you turn, you're, you're confronted with postmodernism or the New Apostolic Reformation. And the, the end result is the same for all of them. The end result is you will not trust in God's word and you will believe in a false gospel or you will reject the gospel altogether. Yeah, yeah Stephen, right. you, you sound like an angry parent and, and you and I have shared um, this before on our Pirate Gang conversations. I also have a, a child who grew up in the church, um, you know, watched the Rob Bell videos and did all the fun uh, stuff at the youth camps and things like that, uh, who, because the experience didn't measure up with truth, has also walked away and it brought breaks our hearts, and, and I'm angry too, mostly at myself, because I didn't know any better at the time. I mean, this was in the early 2000s, and I just, it, it's frustrating because there's so many things I would have done different, you know, first of all, run screaming from that church where we were, because I didn't realize the damage, the shipwrecking that was going on in almost all those kids uh, from that youth group, and, and from my daughter's youth group, except for her, because she's, you know, she her her faith is intact, but uh, I, I just get so angry when I think of, of where they are today. Uh, they're not Christian. They're you know they they think they might be because they were raised in that in- environment, but they're not. They're agnostic at best. And I'm right there with you. Just unplug and start to parent again and do your homework. I mean, I, I've as we're talking here, I've gathered about twenty different articles on this stuff, plus that Elliot Nash video that we're going to post on today's uh, podcast thing. And there's going to be so much homework to do that uh, you know. You won't know what to do next, but uh, believe me, you've got to do this. You have to if you want to help your children emerge from emergency, emergent churches uh, in, with their faith intact. Yep. I, right, right. Uh, go ahead, Matt. Well, I, I was just going to say um, a, a couple things. One is that, I mean, a, a lot of times people hear us talk about theology, and what they don't realize is, is that your theology has consequences. This is yeah. the big lesson I learned when I was at Claremont. These folks that I ran with at Claremont lived terribly destructive lives, especially to themselves. I mean, their lives were a mess, just a complete mess, and so was mine. Uh, you know, living a, a lawless life is not good times. It, it, it's destructive to you. It's destructive to your soul. It's destructive to those around you, um, and it's and it's all predicated on your theology. That's why we get so up in arms about theology, because we know that if you believe this, you're going to behave this way. We know what the consequences of those things are, and so we want to help you avoid that. The other thing is, for those of you, like Steve, you and you have grown children, you too, Chris, um, you know, if they've strayed from the faith, there is hope. Just look at me, okay? I went through the whole you know, uh, mega church, emergent, liberal thing, and and the Lord still saw fit to save me. There mm-hmm. is hope, and so and that's the, and that's why we've got to be rock solid on our theology. Is because when these people are coming out like me, when I was coming out of that, and I'm like, there's no answers here, and and they're in despair. We've got to be ready with a sure answer and, you know, in no uncertain terms, because if they smell if they smell postmodernism on us, 
if they smell megachurch on us, if they smell liberalism on us, I would have run the other way. And we've got to we've got to bring the rock solid truth to them, the rock solid biblical truth to them. That's what's that's the answer. That's the answer they're looking for. They're not looking for us to, uh, you know, uh, well, let's adjust this a little bit so we can be a little more relatable. No, they are looking for, you know, we've, we've got to <laughs> bring them here. They're not looking for another version of liberalism. They're not looking for another version of the megachurch. They are looking for historic Orthodox Christianity. That's what I was looking for, and that's what I found. God be praised. And so there, there is hope. There is hope. But uh, from, from our standpoint, we've got, we've got to preach to those who are being saved and not try to fiddle around and monkey around with our theology and with our orthodoxy in order to reach people. That's not how it's done. The <laughs> Word of God is what is powerful. That's the yes. whole problem with, um, with the whole emergent church project, with the whole megachurch project, is they don't believe that God's Word is what saves they don't believe God's word is powerful enough to save, so they have to do something else in order to attract people to the faith. That is stupid. That's not how people are attracted to the faith. People are attracted to the faith through the power of the gospel, not through your program, not through how slick your speaker is, not any of this stuff, not how relevant you are. None of that stuff attracts people to the Christian faith. Yeah. The word of God is what attracts them to the Christian faith. Yeah. And we've got we've got to keep delivering that because there are people out there that are looking for this. Uh, they are. And if we're and if we're wavering on it at all, um, they're going to pick up on that. And they're gonna be like, nope, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I'm not doing it again. Yep. So, yeah, we've got to be right in there. Now, I I want to I want to as we're admonishing people, one of the things I think we need to do is is not only make a case that people need to do their homework, they need to actually teach the faith to their children, to read their Bibles to them and make sure their children are brought up in the biblical worldview, the worldview that naturally emerges through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the teaching of God's Word. But that we need to uh, prepare people for the fact that because postmodernity has metastasized within our society, uh, that they need to prepare themselves and their children for the persecution that they will, it's not if, that they will experience when they push back against society and postmodern ideas. I mean, this, they have to be prepared to have people come at them in social media in the most vitriolic and nasty and mean-spirited ways. They have to be prepared to lose friends. That's what's going to happen. And as this thing continues to metastasize and get darker, they have to be ready to to, to face the fact that they might experience straight-up uh, organized persecution of, of, of Christians Within the within our society, within their lifetime, that's what's coming, and so this is not just a fight for truth and a fight to keep your kids. This has got to be. You have to prepare your children in such a way that they know that there is a cost to believing what Scripture says, and you need to prepare them for that persecution and be there to support them when they're being bullied and persecuted within their own social groups for believing what Scripture says. Hmm. Boy, there's uh, there's an interesting, I don't know if it's irony, but one of the 
factors in the emergent church when it began was this idea that young people are looking for something authentic. They're looking for people who are honest and asking tough questions, all that stuff. And it was a marketing ploy. I mean, they, they wound up marketing the fact that, hey, come to our church where we're authentic and we're real. And, and after a while, people saw through it. And they're like, well, just because you stick it on a logo and you put it on your website doesn't mean it's true. Because the reality is that, that Christianity teaches that we're, we're incapable of being totally honest and being totally sincere. We're sinners at the core. So I think there's something really refreshing about uh, not making your church at all um, uh, accommodating to the surrounding culture. I think if anybody's looking for authenticity, they would say, oh, wow, this church hasn't adopted itself to the culture at all. That's actually authenticity. But when you start saying, you know, we're just the people who live in community and we're just, you know, we're just, uh, what is the, uh, the love of Jesus? We're just, we're just living out the, we practice the way of Jesus. You know, we're moving beyond all those absolute truth claims. You know, it's really just about the community, you know, doing stuff together and doing life together. All that. After a while, people realize these are just catchphrases that came from some marketing department somewhere. So, you know, like my church is this, little confessional Lutheran church, and we, we're not making hardly any attempts at all to modernize, quote-unquote. I mean, it's more modern than the church would have been probably 300 years ago. But overall, uh, I really like that about it because I know what to expect, and I know we're not trying to um, change things just for the sake of change to try to win people over. Whenever you win people over in that way, you're just doing it temporarily. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's you. It's you and your plans. And um, – the postmodern emerging church thing is just another version of that. Uh, I think it's worse in a lot of ways, though, because the surrounding culture isn't just a neutral style thing. You know, it's not just this is the way people think right now. You know, it's not like the church is putting on bell bottoms because the bell bottoms are cool for a while. It's much deeper than that. You know, uh, you're not adopting to trends. You're actually shifting your entire worldview to try to accommodate this pagan anti-Christian culture and bring it into the church. Man, bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, so a, a word on a, on apologetics a bit here. I mean, it's it's to the point where, see, I, I love apologetics, and the reason I love it is because I have to defend myself, <laughs> um, and that's you know that's kind of some of the stuff I'm trying to equip my children with is is apologetics, so they can defend themselves against you know whoever might come their way. Yeah, and we we've got to be confident in that. Now, can the Holy Spirit use that to convert people? Of course. Uh, but but the primary use of apologetics is is to defend your faith is to say hey you know I believe this because uh, because Scripture says it and it has it's it and it's rooted in reality it's rooted in history uh, you know I think of uh, the best thing you can do is defend be able to defend the resurrection right um, you know historically these sorts of things um, and so, you know, and you talk about authenticity. I mean, the most authentic thing we can say as Christians is that we are sinners who need a savior. Right. That's authentic. Um, you know, and, and when you stray from that, like you said, Steve, and you start thinking of authenticity in some, some other way, um, other than the biblical way, then it, 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 you're right. It becomes this this marketing strategy. So so if you're if you're out there and you're looking for authenticity, find a church that will tell you you're a sinner and you need a savior and explain what that means. That's that's the authentic truth. That's what that's what you need. Mm, amen. amen. 
But that doesn't no, make talking... me feel good about myself. <laughs> well, you were talking before, though, about um, you know the how we cover different movements, and we've we've talked a lot this year about uh, the New Apostolic Reformation, and now we're talking about something that's seemingly different. And it is; it, it's almost apples to oranges. And I would say that if you kind of figure out what the main problem is, um, you know, the progressive um, postmodern faith believes that there is no absolute truth, so they don't believe in the authority. Of Scripture, whereas NAR people will say we believe in the authority of Scripture, but unfortunately they don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. So you've got two different things going on, and I would say it's almost easier to open the eyes of somebody uh, in the NAR in that horrible movement than it is trying to even talk to people who don't believe that the Bible is true. I mean, where do you even start with those people? You know, to, to convince them that Scripture is truth. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I I mean, I gave up a long time ago uh, joining Facebook groups that uh, are largely postmodern, quote unquote, Christians, because, you know, and this goes back to your point about epistemology, Chris, we are dealing from a completely different epistemological foundation. Yep. So we can't, you know, I can't say, okay, let's bring in this this portion of scripture and discuss what it means. It doesn't matter. Right. They're, they're not they're, they're going to argue from what I call their intuition, which is a combination of their their intellect, uh, you know, rationality and their feelings. That's what they're going to argue from. And they're going to and, and from that basis, they're, they're going to put the meaning they want on that portion of Scripture. Whereas we believe that we can know what St. Paul means when he says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can we, we can know what the author means that that's a big that's a huge piece um, and, and what Derrida tried to do with deconstruction is to say that the we can never know the author's meaning. That was a huge move. That that that's an earthquake move to say we can never really understand what the author is saying. Now that that is a that's a that poses a major problem for us as Christians because that's all we're trying to do when we approach the, the biblical text and say what does Saint Paul mean by this? Yeah. Postmodern deconstruction comes along and says, no, you can't know that. All you can know is what you think the author is trying to say. That's all you can know. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, so the, the, the thing of it is, as far as, you know, to your point, Amy, that if, if you're going to engage these folks, um, you, you first you have to understand that they are coming from a completely different foundation of truth than you are. They're arriving at truth in a different way uh, from a completely different foundation than you are. And most of the time, you're just going to pass by each other. You're never going to be able to actually get on the same page and discuss anything. Um, the the yeah. best way I found to, to discuss this with people who, who are, are, are caught up in this, and, and by the way, <laughs> um, I, I've, I've got Lutheran friends who, who are uh, affected by this in some ways. And so don't, don't think that this isn't something that just is, is out there. Um, mm-hmm. This is something that permeates all of our culture, and especially you know probably my generation down, this is something that, that they've been exposed to and that they're going to try. My daughter tries this on me all the time. Well, that's just your opinion. See? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So so what, what you have to do is you have to back up. And, and, and Chris is exactly right. This is all founded on epistemology. How do you know that? And that is what's going to that there you're going to either end a conversation or start a really good conversation. Yep. Because every time I bring that up to, to my that to me, that's the silver bullet. Um, every time I bring that up to somebody who's deconstructing my daughter, for instance, when she says, well, that's just your opinion, then I back up to the, the epistemology. 
I say, well, how do you know that your opinion is right and my opinion is wrong? Mm -hmm. See, and then we get down to it. Then I say, okay, now, now, and I drive her toward the scriptures. I say, okay, we know, we know what we know from the scriptures, hon. And she says, yes, I agree with that. Okay, so from the scriptures, now defend your position. Right. Uh, yeah, doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yep. yeah, so th I mean, that's, that's really good conversations I have with, you know, with my teenage daughter. Uh, but with your, but with your postmodern friends, if you drive them there, they're, they're going to stop talking. They're going to, you're going to say, how do you know that? Well, we know that because we as a community got, well, why should I trust your community? What, what authority do you have? to tell me what's right and wrong. What, why, why do I have to, to join on with, with what your community says is true? Yep. What if my community says something different? And then that's when they, that's when they either bail or they say, oh, okay, that's interesting. How do we get to, and really even beneath the, the epistemological question is the question of authority. Who has the authority to say? And that's, that's really what I was driving at with Bell is if you don't, if you cannot locate God's voice, you have no foundation from which to utter really anything. Yep. You know, and that that's really that's really where you got to take it. Right. And and that really is is an apologetic task. I think when we talk about apologetics, I mean one of the key passages is in 2 Corinthians 10 about taking thoughts captive. You have to think of it as uh, when you're doing stuff like this, this is the work of the law. This is taking uh, uh, thoughts that are that spring from human uh idolatry and you need to isolate them and I and help the person see that this is what they're doing. And so, uh, you know, when I talk to my, uh, my daughters about, you know, how to do this, you know, we, we have a shorthand. I tell them, listen, that when somebody's infected by this way of thinking, you have to think of them as actually uh, suffering from some kind of a mental illness. It's craziness. It's crazy yeah. to think this way. And so I always tell them, you cannot allow yourself to be drug into their crazy and fight it within the crazy. You have to actually stay outside of the crazy and point <laughs> out the crazy. This I know that I know it sounds weird, but that's kind of how I talk to them. And, and, and that's what Matt literally just described is exactly how you do that. You have to yep. ask questions and you have got, and so apologetically, if you're doing evangelism and you're talking with somebody or you're trying to help straighten somebody out who's a believer who's been infected by this, you have to help them see the thing that they're not seeing. And that is, is that they're, they're, they're drawing on a different authority. They're challenging the word of God. They're using your, their intuition as, um, as the basis for truth and things like this. And there are ways to do it. And, you know, screaming in their face is not a good idea. That's not, that's not the effective way of doing it. But basically sitting there and ask the questions. How do you know that? Where did you get that idea from? And staying on the outside of it and getting them to be self-reflective about where they're coming up with these ideas is a good way of helping them see like, whoa, I didn't even realize I was doing that. And then bringing the scriptures in as a remedy so that they can, they can say, whoa, the actually when it comes to these things, God's word has to decide. So yeah, what Matt described there is a perfectly legitimate and very powerful way of addressing people who are influenced by post-modernity, and you can do this with Christians as well as non-Christians. Right. So can well, you give an example of that, Chris, and how that might look in a conversation with church friends? 
Yeah, that have- uh, yeah. I'll, I'll give an innocuous. Uh, this is this is one that I think everybody has experienced. So when you get into your small group, you know, people go to small groups to study the Bible. At least that's what they say. Mm-hmm. And so there they are. They've they've all had their nachos and they're everyone's drinking <laughs> a Fanta or a Dr Pepper or something like that. And and so they they open up with a word of prayer and then and and then the group leader opens up the Bible and reads two verses out of context and says, you know, I was really reflecting on this and what this verse means to me is and then they and they mm-hmm. so they go around the room so what does this verse mean to you this is post modernity this is this is language deconstruction in practice literally that's what this is so when you see something like that happen you sit there and go you know i actually don't find it helpful to ask what does this verse mean to me the question we should be asking is what does this verse mean because God the Holy Spirit had this author pen this and it actually has a meaning that the author and the Holy Spirit intended for us to know and so you you just politely redirect and point out the yeah. fact that what you're what you're doing is no way of arriving at biblical truth now somebody might take offense at it and so I would recommend being careful in how you do it. I, I wouldn't recommend lighting yourself on fire, stomping your feet, and then screaming from their coffee table. That would probably not be a good way of, of addressing it. But, but politely, when the turn comes to you saying, you know, I think we better uh, reconsider what we're doing here and and then redirect. And so the idea then is, is don't don't play on their field but point out, standing from outside their field, you guys are playing a game here, and this is not how we arrive at biblical truth. That's oh, the that's idea. good advice because what, I did yeah. that actually the wrong way a uh, number of years ago. I was in a small group at our uh, former church years ago, and uh, the you know Bible study leader uh, in the small group got out his Bible and did the exact same thing, read the verses out of context, and then he said, "Okay, you won't you won't need your Bibles for these next questions. So put your Bibles away, close your Bibles up." And I just about fell off my chair. So I I was actually um, I let my emotions lead, and I said, "What do you mean? You know, yeah, I didn't scream it or anything." Thing like that, but yeah, I, I was abrasive, and that was the wrong way to do it. Um, there was probably a better way I could have uh, said, "No, I think we really need our Bibles to talk about Bible verses." So, <laughs> but so that's very good advice. Yeah, but it's was, very it, common. Uh, when when you were talking, Chris, I was thinking about it. Makes so much sense how most of the emerging people were so comfortable with uh, various forms of mysticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they rejected the uh, authority of Scripture, and uh, this postmodern viewpoint is kind of you you might be rejecting a rational scientific worldview, but you're also opening yourself up to supernatural possibilities. Yeah. And that, that was part of the hope that Christians had when they were trying to, you know, uh, bring postmodern ideas into the church. Because it, it, in theory, anyway, um, the postmodern worldview does allow room for some kind of supernatural thing. But it's very vague and it's... Uh, it it pretty much rejects the idea that there's a there's a you know all supreme god who's an authority figure but it doesn't necessarily reject the idea that there are mystical experiences that might give us you know good feelings or give us good thoughts or encourage us or whatever and yeah. i i remember when when rob bell started going off the rails and he was doing that breath prayer thing in church yeah. that was so creepy i just listened to that again i was watching elliot nesh's video last night in preparation for our show today and i saw that and i'm like i can't believe i mean i I know that there was some conflict in the church when he started doing that but 
any church where somebody starts talking about these weird breath prayer things, the whole congregation should immediately stand up and walk out and never come back. I'm sorry. Well, unfortunately, um, Rick Warren put that in the pastor's toolbox that he has, and oh. there are thousands and thousands of people, pastors, who grab that and run with it, and he teaches people how to do breath prayers. Yeah, it's really I, I, frustrating. Uh, the, the, the church I was in, Lutheran Church, in, in New York, the, uh, the quote-unquote catechism class that I took my daughter to, the pastor taught that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, and, and yeah, I freaked out. <laughs> we had we had a little problem there, but um, so so just yeah, keep 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 a sharp eye. I would say no matter where you are, always be critical. That's what I always say. You would you know, and, and Pastor Roseborough, you say this all the time. Don't listen with a with an open mind. Listen with an open Bible, even yep. to you. Yeah. And uh, you know that that is key. You, you I mean, I I I stood under the the teaching of, of Pastor David Peterson, arguably one of the best. Uh, expositors of Holy Scripture in all of all of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and I I critique him. I'll send him an email and say, "Hey, you said this," and I thought, "Blah blah blah," and he is open to that, you know. But but you should always be critiquing. Another angle on this, I think we definitely need to reiterate is um, in in postmodern emergent church ideas, and I pointed this out on my last Bell podcast. You lose the gospel in all this. Oh yeah, it becomes. It becomes a work salvation. If you listen to the way he speaks in that book, the solution to our problems is not the gospel. It's us. Yeah. And, and that's, it's, it, it's, an, it's another, I, I phrase it as another form of pietism, uh, where, where you look to yourself uh, for salvation. And, and that's really the ultimate danger in all of this, is that we lose the gospel. We, we, we end up being turned back in on ourselves for the solution to our sin, to the, for the solution to our problems. So, so not only is this this whole idea very destructive, not only does it hurl you into destructive uh, patterns of behavior, it also takes the gospel from you. Yeah. There is no forgiveness of sins in any of this. There is no God coming down from heaven, being born of a virgin, uh, living, dying, rising again, and ascending to the right hand of the Father, for the forgiveness of sins. God is not going to solve this problem. We have to solve this problem is what they'll say. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you know, and no gospel, no gospel whatsoever there. It's all law. And that's what's really interesting. That's what I found just so frustrating about uh, my experience in, in the evangelical church and then my experience in the liberal church. They're both all law. There's no gospel to be found Yes. Either either place, right? There, there are two. There are two sides of the exact same coin, and uh, yep. w- one of the ways I've described, you know, when I, you know, I used to travel to emergent conferences and, you know, you know, in order to figure them out, and you know, privately I would tell people I, that, you know, listen, you know, what you guys have set up is the mere opposite of fundamentalism. You guys are just as legalistic in what you've set up as Westboro Baptist. And, and I point to, uh, you know, a story that, you know, happened, you know, years ago when I was doing the research, I was attending a, a small Lutheran church in Greenfield, uh, Indiana. And, uh, I took a photograph and put it on Instagram and on Twitter of, uh, you know, of the coffee setup that we had, you know, at our church. And I did that just to kind of be tongue in cheek because, 
you know, the big mega churches, they have like the, the, the mega church equivalent of Starbucks in their foyer, right? You know, they have baristas yes. and stuff like that. We, you know, the, the church I attended, you know, we had like the 15 gallon stainless steel <laughs> percolator coffee thing. And, and clearly, you know, our coffee creamer was purchased from, you know, Costco. And, <laughs> and, and no joke, I, I put the photograph up on Instagram and there were people in the emergent church who were following me at the time on Twitter and Instagram and they, they came unglued and, and it's like, what, 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 what are you coming? You have white table sugar there at your, at at your coffee station. (laughs) That is colonial imperialism in action. There are people who are enslaved and, and held back from society because of white table sugar. How dare your church have that? And I was like, oh my goodness. What are you talking about? You know, and so I mean that they their reaction was as violent as like you know like a Nazarene church somebody saying yeah I went to a dance club last night. I mean I, it's just a different it's a different legal code and it's a man made one and there's this liberal and the the fundamentalists are conservative. But it's the same coin. It's it and in neither and the coin is not Christianity. That's the thing. Christianity is different than conservative fundamentalism and is different than legalistic liberal emergentism. Biblical Christianity is neither of those things. But yeah. both both systems are totally law. I was going to say um, one of the key characteristics of the emergent postmodern church is the idea that the kingdom of God is all about what we do on earth. So there is no heaven and hell. And um, when when you talk about uh, the gospel, you know, uh, Christ dying for our sins, it really doesn't connect. It doesn't really have anything to do with what they believe Christianity is all about. I, I don't even understand their view. I, it's like, well, you have to throw away most of the Bible to to think about Christianity the way you think about it. And one of the things that they also do in, in that regard is they negate all of the epistles. They hate Paul. Oh, yeah. And they say, you know, we should only listen to what Jesus said. You know, we're followers of Jesus. We're not followers of Paul. Which is so dumb because, okay, hey, I got an idea, all you people who say that. Why don't you read all the books that Jesus wrote? Go ahead. Just use those books and nothing else. Well, oh, that's right. He, he didn't write any books. The apostles did. Sorry. Right. You can't escape this idea that the apostles give us our faith. that It's been handed to us through the apostles, not directly from Jesus because Jesus didn't write books. Yeah. I'm sure he wow. Really good books, but he decided not to do it that way. Yeah. Well, I was taught in my Minnesota upbringing that um, by several older family members that the Apostle Paul was actually uh, subversive; that he uh, was some kind of a chauvinist who, uh, you know, everybody else had the had Jesus's words right except for him, and he actually destroyed uh, Christianity from the very beginning. That's what I was actually taught that uh, we shouldn't listen to anything that Apostle Paul says about theology or doctrine or any. Anything like that? Yeah, and uh, this is this is the impetus behind the whole red letter Christian movement. You know, mm-hmm. it, it sounds so. You know, oh, you know, we put a bigger weight on the on the red letters, and and we kind of you know we take whatever Paul says and divide by two, maybe five. But uh, you know that that's ridiculous. You know, Stephen, you brought up kind of a question, and you were trying to make sense of where does you know what is their understanding of what Jesus did on the cross. 
Mm-hmm. And um, boy, I, I got to tell you, if you really want to see the emergent view of, or at least one of the views of, you know, the, an explanation of why Jesus was on the cross, you have to read Brian McLaren's book, Everything Must Change. And in that book, McLaren literally argues that the purpose that, that Jesus died, he laid down his life in order to attract the wolves of empire, the Roman Empire, so that they would tear him apart. And by him being torn apart, his the, the, the disciples' eyes would finally be opened to the fact that you can't solve the world's problems and bring the kingdom to earth through empire. That was the wow. that's that's McLaren's explanation for uh, Jesus's death on the cross. And at one of the emergent conference, I literally had a conversation with McLaren about this, and I asked him straight up. I said, you know, I read your uh, you, you know your your understanding of why Jesus died on the cross, and I said straight up, I mean, what do you do with Isaiah fifty three that he was mm-hmm. pierced for our transgressions that he was bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. I I asked him straight up, and without even blinking, he looked at me and said, it all depends on what you mean by the word for. Oh, gosh. Oh, boy. Wow. Yep. (laughs) There you go, Matt. There's there's some language deconstruction going on right there. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, that that should tip you off right away. Yeah, the the whole uh, de- death of Christ and the, and the subver- subversion of empire. When you when you read when you take that lens and you read Holy Scripture through that lens of all of Holy Scripture is trying to subvert empire. Um, it, it it gets really interesting. I just I just read uh, Brueggemann's new book and it was uh so painful to to, to <laughs> listen to him. Um, exposit the scriptures. I mean, and he's an Old Testament expert, no question about it. But he puts that that lens of subverting empire on the scriptures, and then reads it from there. Um, and and that's you know that that's his uh, that's his move. And that and the thing of it is, what what gives these people buzz, what get, what gets them excited, is when guys like Brueggemann or Bell or McLaren or whoever take the scriptures and they put that that lens of subverting empire on it. And they come out with all these subversive ideas. This is this is how we could subvert empire. Here's how we could subvert empire. And again, go back to the liberation theology idea. That's exactly what that's all about: is subverting the system. Um, and so when they can when they can bring those subversive ideas out of the scripture, whether it be through the cross or they they really do a good job using Paul's writings in a lot of ways. I mean, look at the new perspectives on Paul. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's that's exactly what they're going for in all that. And so when they do that, these postmoderns, they get all jazzed because look at all these subversive ideas we're getting from the scriptures. And we're the Christians. And you guys who believe that Jesus died and was punished for, for, for our sins, um, you guys are wrong. This is the right interpretation of the scripture. Right. Uh, and so uh, and so that's it goes back to that whole idea. We, we would say this is most certainly true. They're going to say this most certainly subverts. Yeah. And if it subverts. That that's what we're going with. Yeah. Uh, we're not going with. Well, is this true or not? That's 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 not even a thing to them. They don't care about that. Does it subvert? That's what they're after. And and then you you, you and we'll kind of end with this thought. We're going to wrap it up. You know, kind of put a bow on it here. And again, there's going to be Amy's putting up a ton of resources yeah. and links sorry. with this with this. Uh, you know, and sorry, you got to do your homework. But talking yeah, you have to. talking about the subversive subversion thing. 
two things come to mind biblically, and that is is that the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, both of them together, uh, under the influence of the whole, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, literally warn us about what it'll be like in the last days. Peter, in his epistle, Second Peter, talks about the fact that in the last days, that it that scoffers would scoff. Postmodernism is nothing more than a worldview uh, that is dedicated to scoffing, and, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and in that sense, and, and questioning, and challenging, and subverting. But the the Apostle Paul in uh, in in his epistles to the Thessalonians talks about how in the last days that there would be a rebellion that comes. The the, the Greek word is apostasia, and mm-hmm. literally that the word apostasia means rebellion, and that this rebellion would be in the church itself. And postmodernity is a epistemological worldview that is dedicated heart and soul to subversion, to rebellion, to scoffing. It is not compatible with biblical Christianity in any sense of the word. And it is exactly what Scripture, the Holy Spirit, prophesied that the church would face, and it's growing in spades right now uh, under your feet as your children are growing up. It, you know, your, your grade school, your high school, the Disney Channel, they're all just steeped in this worldview of subversion and rebellion and scoffing. And uh, the, the answer to this is to bend the knee, to repent, to be forgiven and adopt the, re- the reality that truth is objective, it's knowable, it's outside of us, and it's revealed by God, and that we are to bend the knee and to subscribe to it, which is a totally different worldview. And so you have to understand that you can't bring scoffing and rebellion and subversion into your church and expect your church to survive because the whole point of scoffing rebellion and subversion is to undo your church. Right. It's pretty obvious when you put it that way. Yeah, it sure is. So, well, guys, thank you. Great conversation. And boy, I feel like we just kind of flitted on the surface. It's a big topic. Uh, but ho- hopefully people will uh, hear this conversation and and you know, and and realize they they got to do something about this. This is not something they can just sit on the sidelines about. In fact, the whole uh, the conference, the Pirate Christian Radio Conference, coming up in just a few weeks at uh, Kongsvinger, we are going to be literally making the case for lay people contending for the faith. That's really the gist of what we're doing, and each presentation by myself, by Amy, by Stephen, and by uh, Matthew Garnett is geared towards equipping the laity and, and in a sense, inspiring you from the clear passages of Scripture that say that this is our work to do as Christians. Yeah, that's right. It's crazy <laughs> to believe this. Christians actually have good works to do, and it is a good work to contend for the faith and to take thoughts captive, and help people understand the truth. Um, and so you know, the, 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 that's the, the gist of our, our upcoming conference, and there are still still openings available. And one of the things, I make no bones about it, our conferences are small on purpose so that you can talk with Amy, that you can talk with Steve, you can talk to me, you can talk to Matthew Garnett, so that we can hang out and have meals together and get to know each other so that you realize you're not alone out there in your concern about what's going wrong in the church and 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 know that you need to do something to uh, you know to basically 
stand up and be counted and mu- and muster in this fight. We're all we're all part of the church militant right now together, and so it is our job collectively as Christians to proclaim the truth, to take thoughts captive, and to resist this scoffing, subversive, rebellious worldview that has taken over society and is now at work in the church. So I, I'm really looking forward to uh, being in the same room with you guys, hearing your lectures, breathing the same air from the same building, and uh, having meals and talking with you guys. And if anyone wants to join us, there are still there are still openings uh, available for the conference. Go to fightingforthefaith.com. Very top, it says conferences. Select the uh, the uh, the contend conference uh, in uh, in Oslo, Minnesota, and uh, we will see you all in a couple of weeks. But thank you guys for uh, the great conversation today. And uh, my prayer is that it will uh, it will help open people's eyes and motivate them to get into the scriptures and uh, and and to study so that they can know how to contend against those forces that seek to rob them of their faith and to dis- and to shipwreck the faith of their own children. Yes. Amen. There's a lot of work to be done. Thanks, Chris. Indeed. Yep, thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks guys. We'll talk again in a few weeks. So what'd you think? Would love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pyre Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.